Hello. I am Rhonda Burchard. I am one of the teachers on the teaching team, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Today we're studying Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, and our theme for today is perspective. Perspective is often taught when learning about art or photography. There are specific techniques used for giving the illusion of depth and distance. Now, people are funny. They like to play around with perspective when they go on vacation. Maybe it's because people have more time on vacation. Maybe it's because they're feeling creative on vacation. I don't know. But a popular thing to do on vacation is to play around with perspective in your photos. Here are a few vacation photos of people with playing with perspective. Let's look at the Eiffel Tower. The Golden Gate Bridge. The Sphinx. And of course, probably the most photographed site playing with perspective is the Leaning Tower of Pisa, where people are either holding it up or kicking it down. All of these pictures are funny because the perspective is completely wrong. You can't really hold the Eiffel Tower between your fingers. Perspective is important in photography, but it's extremely important in life. I like this definition of perspective. The capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. The capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. In life, perspective is understanding what is really important. Sometimes we get our perspective confused because we live in an age where everyone promotes their own perspective. But as we see from these photos, sometimes perspectives can be wrong. That's why when our world is confused and we don't know what to think, we can go to scripture and it will help us realign our perspective. Today's passage will help us with our perspective about who we are, what God has done for us, and what is ahead. Because the truth is, when we know who we are in Christ, everything else is put in perspective. When we know who we are in Christ, everything else is put in perspective. Today I'm going to start in the middle of two of our verses because I want us to have a particular perspective before we start. In the middle of verses 7 and 8, we see the phrase, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. I want you to say the word lavished. Lavish is a word that we really don't use very often, but I think we generally understand what it means. Abundant, rich, over the top. Another idea for lavish lavish is to shower. In the New Living Translation, this same verse is translated, God has showered his kindness on us. Another word for lavish is to pour on. Think of a bubble bath. You have the water pouring out of the faucet and the tub and the bubbles are filling the tub and growing bigger and foamier with this wonderful aroma. It's extravagant. 
It's overflowing. What has he lavished upon us? The riches of his grace. Throughout this study, we have talked about the book of Ephesians being like a mine filled with jewels. And the deeper we go into the mine, the more jewels we will find, gems that are bright and shining. When you look at the front cover of our books this year, you see circles of light on the cover. I like to think of these as spotlights, highlighting the different blessings we will find in our study this year. Because he lavished the riches of his grace upon us. In this week's lesson, we find three of these riches. Quickly, we see two of them in verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The first of our riches is redemption through his blood. And the second is forgiveness of our trespasses or sins. It's pretty easy to see. Some of the riches, though, are not so easily seen. We might have to dig for them a little bit. Anybody discovering that reading Ephesians is not always easy? Sometimes it is complex. But the blessings we will discover are worth it. The third of our riches is found in verses 9 through 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I'm going to focus on the phrase to unite all things in him. That is the third of our riches this week. Redemption through his blood forgiveness of our sins, all things united in him. Sounds pretty rich. I connected these three riches with the letter W to help us remember them. So here is our outline for today. Wanted, welcome, and whole. Wanted, welcome, and whole. I'll give you a hint. The first of these riches each of us already has. The other two are dependent on how we treat the first. So let's look at the first of our riches that God has lavished upon us. The first blessing is that we have redemption through his blood. Sometimes in the church we rattle off phrases and words that we assume everyone knows what these words and phrases mean. So let's talk about some of those that we see in this week's verses. The phrase, through his blood, means through the death of Jesus on the cross and the significance of that event. So in Jesus, we have redemption through his death on the cross. Wait a minute, we got to stop right there. Here's another word that maybe we don't want to know what it really means. Let's think about the word redemption. What does redemption mean? We often use this word in our daily life by saying we are redeeming a bad situation. In this context, it means to bring something good out of something bad. And that is true. It does mean that. But in the Bible, it means so much more. In the Bible, redemption means to rescue, deliver, or set free. 
to rescue, deliver, or set free. One study technique that you can use when studying the Bible is to see how a word or phrase is used in other parts of Scripture. That's why every week in our study, we're checking other verses to see how they relate, how they connect to the passage we are studying that week. Because the Bible tells a complete story, and all the pieces fit together into that complete story. The idea of redemption is very important in Scripture. It is used around 150 times in the entire Bible. But here's the interesting thing. The idea of redemption is only used about 20 times in the New Testament. The great majority of the time, redemption is used in the Old Testament. And here's an important thing to note. The most often used example of redemption in the Bible is God rescuing, delivering, or setting free his people out of slavery in Egypt. So it would be good for us to think about that story when we read the word redemption in the Bible. The other key part about redemption is that it requires an intermediary to serve as a redeemer. Redemption requires someone else to get involved, someone else to act as redeemer because we can't save ourselves. Did you hear what I just said? We can't save ourselves. As much as we want to be independent, as much as we want to be self-reliant, as much as we want to not need anyone, we can't save ourselves. We need redemption. We need a redeemer. In the story of Exodus from Egypt, God's people could not save themselves. They needed someone to redeem them. And in that story, God is the redeemer. You remember this story. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, but God has a plan. In Exodus 6.6, God tells Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Did you hear the emphasis? I will bring you, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. There is no question who is doing the saving, who is doing the redeeming. God is going to save them. God is going to redeem them. Yes, God used Moses, but God was the redeemer. After the events had taken place and the people were no longer slaves in Egypt, Moses was not confused. He knew exactly who it was that redeemed them. In Deuteronomy 7, 8, he said, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is the redeemer in the Old Testament. In Egypt, the people could not save themselves. God had to intervene and redeem them. In the New Testament, Jesus is the Redeemer. And just like the Israelites, we cannot save ourselves either. 
We need a redeemer. And Jesus went to the cross to redeem us. That is what Ephesians 1, 7 means. In him we have redemption through his blood. We could not save ourselves, so Jesus came to redeem us. Remember, the word redemption means rescuing, delivering, setting free. So let's put those words in there. Jesus rescued us through his blood. Jesus delivered us through his blood. Jesus set us free through his blood. Jesus redeemed us through his blood. But there is a piece of redemption that I think often gets overlooked. Maybe it's assumed, perhaps it's taken for granted, but I actually think it's important to say. I think it is important to hear. The only things that get redeemed are the things that are wanted. Let me repeat that. The only things that get redeemed are the things that are wanted. Let me give you a common example. When you redeem a coupon, you only redeem the coupon if you want the item. More than likely, all of us in this room receive coupons in the mail, but think about it. We only cut out the coupon of the things we want. We only go through the effort of cutting out the coupon, putting it in our purse, taking it with us to Target, giving it to the cashier if we want the item. We only redeem the things that we want. It is the same with God. He wants us. That's why he redeems us. There's a worship song that says, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. That's why he came into our world. Josh Butler is a pastor in Portland who calls God the pursuing God. That is the title of his latest book. The cover illustration is of a diver plunging headfirst into the water. Look closely and you see the water splashing up as the diver enters the water. Butler says this is a picture of God diving into our world, God pursuing us, God seeking us, God wanting us, God diving into our world to redeem us. Jesus dove into our world to offer redemption. That is the first of our riches. You are wanted by God. You, you. You, you, each of us are wanted by God. I want you to turn to your neighbor sitting next to you. I want you to look her in your eye and I want you to say you are wanted by God. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that feel good? He redeems us because he wants us. Do you feel wanted? In our world, we don't always feel wanted. Some of us have not always been wanted. I was at a party this summer. It had nothing to do with the church, no connection at all. None of you were there. (laughs) I was at a party this summer, and there were probably 50 people there. You know how it works at parties, you're mixing with people, you're having various conversations. Some of the people I had met before and some of them I had not. 
I ended up talking with a woman that I had never met before. We started talking small talk, but as conversation went on, she ended up sharing with me some of her story. She shared with me some things about her family and things that they are currently struggling with. The conversation went back and forth, and I shared a little bit about my story. No big admissions, just trying to be encouraging, and she the same. Really, no big deal, just a real conversation. You know how it is at parties, you finish talking, it comes to a natural conclusion, you say, so nice to meet you, and you end up talking with someone else. That's how parties work. An hour or so later, I was ready to go home, and I headed for the door. The woman that I spoke to early, earlier hurried up to me. She told me she really enjoyed talking with me, and I said, I enjoyed talking with you too. It was so nice to meet you. Then she said to me, I hope I didn't overshare. I quickly assured her of the truth that she did not overshare and that I enjoyed our conversation. Then she said to me, nobody ever talks about this stuff. And then somewhat embarrassed, she lowered her voice and said, I guess nobody else is experiencing it. I smiled and reassured her, they may not be talking about it, but I guarantee you, many people are experiencing this. This woman didn't overshare. She just told me part of her story. That's not oversharing. To be real, to be honest, that is the stuff of life. We live in a broken world and we need to have a place to share it with others. As we continue in the book of Ephesians, we will see what it means to be the church. The church needs to be a place where we can be real about our lives. We currently live in a world driven by social media, but we need to remember social media is an experiment that our world is still trying to figure out. Social media encourages us to be packaged and polished, but we are more than an image that we have created. We need a place to be real. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article entitled, How and Why to Take a Break from Social Media. One of the reasons it's cited for perhaps taking a break might be because you're simply sick of the phoniness of it all, with friends faking the high life when you know it's all a facade. Friends, we are more than a cleaned up, buttoned up, created image of ourselves online. We have stories, we have lives, we have hurts. It's being human. And the woman at the party I met was desperate for a place to be real. What about you? Do you feel wanted? We live in a world that is quick to tell us we are not wanted unless we are perfectly put together, our children are model citizens, and we don't overshare. We live in a broken world. But into this world, our broken, messy world, God dove in. You don't have to worry about oversharing with God. He knows it all. He knows the one perfect photo that you posted to Instagram, and he knows the 20 pictures you deleted to find the one that was perfect. 
He knows the stories you don't tell about yourself, about your family, and about your choices. He knows. And the amazing thing is, he wants us. That's why he came into this world. That is why he redeemed us, because we only redeem what we want. And God wants you. You are wanted. Will you believe it? Will you believe God's perspective that you are wanted? There's one more thing about verse 7, specifically about the blood of Jesus, that I have to share. In the book of Ephesians, we're talking about riches. In our world, silver and gold are riches. They are costly and expensive. We hold them dear. But in God's economy, not so much. Gold is so common in heaven that the streets are described as being made with gold. Streets of gold are not intended to describe the beauty of heaven, although it will be beautiful. What it is really saying is that the things we hold valuable today are really nothing in all of eternity. The Apostle Peter gets it right when he said the blood of Christ is precious. Look at it in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Let's look at verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Here again is the second of our riches, forgiveness of our sins. Another word for trespasses is sin. Through his blood, through his death on the cross, we have forgiveness of our sins. We have been set free from sin. We have been rescued from the bondage of sin. Remember I said we all have the first of the riches, which is that we are wanted. And the other two riches are dependent on how we respond to the first. The second of our riches, forgiveness of our sins, means we are welcome. But here's the thing. In order to be welcome, you have to be forgiven. Jesus wants you. He shed his blood on the cross for your forgiveness, but you have to take your step. You have to ask for forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness means the penalty has been paid. It means wiping the slate clean. The Bible repeatedly talks about forgiveness in being terms of being clean. Psalm 51.7 in the New Living Translation says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Pure, white, snow. Clean. Forgiveness is wiping the slate clean. The penalty has been paid. So now we have to ask, what is sin? There's lots of theology in these verses. What is sin? What is it that we have to be washed of? Sins are things we should not do, but we do. 
or things we don't do, but we should. In the Bible, sin is more than an inadvertent mistake. Instead, it is a conscious, willful act against God's holiness and righteousness. Things that we should not do, but we do. Or things we don't do, but we should. That is sin. No surprise. But here is an added dimension to that definition. Sin is not trusting God and choosing instead to make our own decisions. Sin is not trusting God and choosing instead to make our own decisions. What? Wait, wait a minute. I thought sin was breaking the Ten Commandments. Yes, it is. But really, the actual breaking of the Ten Commandments is more of a symptom of not trusting God. Let me give you an example. One of the Ten Commandments is that we are to not commit adultery. But Jesus goes on to say, if we have lust in our hearts, we have committed adultery. Because you have to ask yourself, why do I break the Ten Commandments? The reason we break the commandments, the reason we sin, is because we don't trust God. I ultimately lie, steal, even am unfaithful because I don't trust God. I think I need to be in control and make my own choices in order to be fulfilled and happy rather than obeying the parameters that God has put in place. I make my own choices rather than following God. Sin is more than breaking rules. It is violating the relationship, our trust with God. Sin is not trusting God and choosing instead to make our own decisions. So what do we have to do to make this right? In order to be in right relationship with God, we need to admit or confess our sins and ask for his forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, when we ask for forgiveness, that restores the relationship with God because the penalty has been paid. Forgiveness is more than just the penalty being paid. It's the relationship has been restored. The relationship has been reconciled. Remember, the first treasure this week is that we are wanted. But in order to have the second of our riches, we have to take the step of faith and ask for forgiveness. Because once we ask for forgiveness... We are welcome into his family. It's the healing of the relationship that makes us welcome. It's the healing of the relationship that makes us welcome. Once we ask for forgiveness, we are welcome into God's family. Forgiveness leads to acceptance by God. 
forgiveness leads to welcome. Think of the story of the prodigal son. My favorite part of this story is the beautiful picture of the father running out to welcome his son. We see it in Luke 15, 20. So he got up, this is the son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I love that. The consequence of sin is a broken relationship with God. But when we ask for his forgiveness, the relationship is restored and we are welcome into his presence. What a beautiful picture of how God the Father is ready to meet you when you ask for forgiveness. He runs to you. He runs to you to welcome you to his family. I love that. You are wanted. Will you believe God's perspective that he wants to welcome you into his family? We have looked at the first two riches in this passage, redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our sins. Now let's look at the third of our riches, all things united in him. Once you are welcomed into God's family and you keep trusting God, following him rather than following yourself, you are on the path toward wholeness. I have to tell you the truth. Wholeness is not going to happen here on earth. But you're moving in that direction. You're moving in that direction towards wholeness. Let's take a look again at Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. There are a lot of phrases in those two verses. But here's what I want you to take away. I want you to take away the mystery of his will and to unite all things. That is the mystery, that he wants to unite all things. At some point in the future, the world will be drawn to a conclusion. That's what the phrase fullness of time means. Scripture doesn't exhaustively describe heaven or the new earth, but it will be wonderful. Christ will reign victorious and all things will be united in him. When this happens, not only will all of creation be whole and completely restored, those who believe in Jesus Christ will be whole and completely restored. That is the third of our riches, to unite all things in him. You will be whole. But how do we move toward that wholeness now? By continuing to trust in him, turning away from sin, being faithful to his word. You are here today studying God's word. Praise the Lord. He is at work in your life persevere in that. 
The first week of our study, Marianne reminded us we have an unseen enemy. I appreciate the verse in 1 Peter 5.8, which tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The enemy wants you to think sin is no big deal, that you can dabble in it without getting hurt, without getting addicted. He tells us, if no one knows, no one will get hurt. But that is a lie. You are getting hurt. The enemy does not want you to persevere. He does not want you to persevere in Bible study. He does not want you to persevere in going to church. He does not want you to persevere in seeking Christ following friends. He does not want you to persevere in your faith in him, in your trust of him, and turning away from sin. But do. The riches are great in the future, but the riches are great now. It is not easy, but there is nothing better. When you persevere in the Lord, someday, because you are wanted and you have asked for forgiveness, you will be welcomed into his presence and you will be made whole. I have been thinking about Peter. He is increasingly becoming my favorite person in the Bible. And there's one thing that I think is really special is before he meets Jesus, his name is Simon. And then Jesus names him Peter. Now when he meets Simon, he's a fisherman. I don't know why, but I picture him as this burly guy. And I picture him as not very... He doesn't always think things through. (laughs) He just jumps out. He's impulsive. And he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I love that. That's who Jesus met. But Jesus says, you are Peter. Because Jesus knows who he will become. Jesus knows who he will become. Jesus knows who he will be when he is whole, and he will be a rock. Jesus knows you when you will be whole. He knows where you're going. He knows what you look like. He knows what your skills are. He knows what he has planned for you. He sees you as you will be. That's cool. I love that. There's a lot of things about heaven that are going to be wonderful. And in this week's lesson, there's a question that asks, what are you especially looking forward to when all things are united in him? When people talk about heaven and this future wholeness, the great majority of the time, people say they're looking forward to having new bodies that are disease and pain-free. And I get that. I get that. We have physical pain. People die. That's hard. But sometimes I wonder why physical wholeness is the only kind of wholeness that people talk about. 
Maybe it comes from a fear of oversharing. I don't know. Of course, physical wholeness is true and remarkable and will be wonderful. But for me, physical pain and physical disability have not been my family's greatest pain. The pain in my story and for my family has been emotional pain. So for me, the greatest longing for heaven is emotional wholeness for me and my family. No depression, no insecurity, no anxiety, no fear, no loneliness, no neglect, no abandonment, no need to control. You have no idea how excited I am to meet the people I love in heaven emotionally whole. I can't imagine. I've never seen that. I've never seen that. That is what gets me excited. Peace of mind and heart for myself and the people I love. I cannot wait for that. For some, the longing for heaven is physical wholeness, but for some, it is emotional wholeness. But either way, for all who believe in him, have asked for forgiveness, who have trusted in him, and who have been welcomed in, they will be whole. Praise the Lord. That sounds so wonderful to me. The last line of the entire Bible before John signs his letter is Revelation 22, 21. It's the very last line. And he says, come, Lord Jesus. It's as if he's saying, hurry, Lord, come quickly. It will be a sweet day. The three riches that we have identified today are just a taste of what is to come. What about you? Will you continue to walk toward wholeness with the Lord and trust him? Will you believe his perspective that he can make you whole? Today we've learned of three riches from Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. You are wanted as shown by the redemption of his blood. When you ask for the riches of Christ's forgiveness, you are welcome. And if you continue persevering in his way, someday you will be whole. This reminds us of our truth. When we know who we are in Christ, everything else is put in perspective. When we know who we are in Christ, everything else is put in perspective. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. You're so good. You're so good to us, Lord. Thank you for these complicated truths because the fact is when we dig in and we can wrap our brains around it a little bit, all of a sudden we, we hold on to them a little bit tighter because they become ours. Thank you for the struggle. Thank you for wanting us. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for creating a way to welcome us. Thank you, Lord, for your plan to make us whole. What a beautiful day that will be. And will be amazing. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this opportunity to be here together and study, dig in. And Lord, as I prayed at the beginning, I just ask you that everyone here will have one thing that they apply to their lives that just draws one step closer to you, Lord. One step closer to that wholeness, whatever it is. Whether, whether it's believing that we're wanted, whether it's turning away from sin and saying no, whether it's persevering in study, you know. Meet each one here where they are. Make it clear to them. Make it clear. And Lord, we will be quick to give you praise for every good thing. Amen.